It's a weird time right now. Uh, <laughs> obviously that's a massive understatement. Um, but it feels like the right way to start this podcast. It's a weird time right now, and it's hard to know how to navigate it. This is What Next, an honest conversation with the Book of Acts. I'm Adam. I'm the Worship and Creative Arts Coordinator at First on Chatham. The other person you'll be hearing from is Pastor Ben Adams. He's the pastor at First on Chatham, which is a worshiping community of First UMC Cary. The idea is pretty simple. Um, each week we'll read a passage or a series of passages from the book of Acts, and then we'll try and have an honest conversation about it. You'll hear my voice and Ben's voice, but we're hoping that the conversation was with the broader community. If you'd like to follow along or join us, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstonchatham, all spelled out. You can find information there about how to follow along or join us live. Tonight, we just talk about the first chapter in Acts, and next week, we'll just talk about the second chapter. It'll pick up a little bit after that, though. We'd love to have you join us. So, um, let's get started. Cool. So I'm going to open this up. Um, I'm going to open this up with a word of prayer, uh, if that's okay. And then Adam, I might ask you to close in prayer tonight. Just a heads up. Sure. Cool. Uh, let's pray. Good and gracious God, uh, for the gift of this moment and this time that we can gather together, even when it's in a way that we don't necessarily prefer, um, it's a way in which your spirit can move among us and we can learn from one another. And we're grateful for the gift that this time is that you share with us. Uh, we ask that your presence be among us. We ask that your spirit might um, illuminate scripture so that we may hear what it is you're speaking to us in this moment, um, so that we may have the strength and the courage to act on what it is that you call us to do. And so that above all else, that we are reminded of your presence, even in the midst of this difficult time. God, we pray that you'd be with every person on this call. Uh, and we pray that you would be with all people um, and that people might know your presence um, in their moments of grief. We ask these sons in your most, uh, we ask these prayers in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Cool. So over the next seven weeks, um, this is a seven week study. Uh, Adam and I really wanted to um, do several things with this. One is we wanted to model a conversation. We just said that a little while ago. Two is we like that we wanted to read all the way through Acts cover to cover. It's something that we rarely do in a church um, is to just read an entire book uh, from front to back. If you're a regular churchgoer um, and you go on Sundays, you probably hear snippets of passages of scripture. So for some of you, this may be the first time that you've ever read Acts, um, which is awesome. Um, for some of you, you probably know more about it than, than Adam and I know about it. So we recognize that we live in between those two spaces. Um, and that's kind of two assumptions that we always have uh, when we're preaching or when we're teaching or when we're leading worship at First on Chatham is that there is always going to be a smarter person in the room than the two of us. And there's always going to be a person who's brand new to faith. 
and how do you kind of live in between the two of that? So we're going to be doing a lot of different stuff over the next seven weeks. But every week, we hope that you'll have come into this conversation having read a passage or a chunk of Acts. Um, hopefully, you all received in the email that I sent out yesterday or possibly on the Facebook page uh, the outline for the course. We're, kind of, we're going to kind of start slow. We're going, doing just chapter one tonight. Next week, we're going to do just chapter two because they're super heavy chapters. And then we're kind of off to the races and we're going to meet, read larger chunks of Acts, really focusing in on some of the questions that we, um, that we have for, for one another um, and that we've been wrestling with over the course of the, the week. So our goal is that you might come out of here um, with practical, with a practical skill set of just reading scripture, kind of, and kind of thinking about how you might ask questions of the text. Um, but we also hope that you will, uh, what you bring to the table will enrich our conversation and your experiences will enrich our conversation as well and how we might read Acts very differently. And all of those opinions and all those beliefs and all those angles that we read it are welcome in this space. So I just want to be mindful of that. Cool. So you good? are you recording now, Ben? I think so. I am, yeah. It says recording. Okay, cool. If it says recording on your screen, I trust you. Yeah, and it has the pause button, so I should be good. Great. Guys, Sorry, we're just figuring this out, so this is going to look a little rough uh, for a little while. Um, it's an honest conversation. So. Yes, that's, the whole, that's in the title. So this is honest, meaning we don't know uh, what we're doing at all times. So. Yeah. Cool. So I think, um, I mean, let's just kind of start, Adam. I'm going to, I want to ask you a question. Just, uh, we're going to kind of throw questions back and forth at one another throughout the night. Uh, but before we even get into Acts, I just kind of want to hear a little bit about you as way of introduction, perhaps for people who don't know you um, or they have seen you but don't necessarily haven't had a conversation. Um, it might help us to just kind of think a little bit about, take a step back. And when you think about reading scripture um, and, and when you're kind of reading through Acts 1, like what are you doing? What are some tips? If there's someone on the call who has never kind of opened up scripture and read it other than just kind of looking at two verses at a time, what are, like what are some tips for folks? Yeah, I think even for folks who maybe have grown up with scripture, yeah. there are some kind of helpful things. I think we can fall into some weird habits when we're handling the text, right? Yeah. And so one of the one of the things that I'm kind of big on is is that uh, I keep this I keep journals of questions, theological yeah. questions, or questions about faith or life. Um, as part as like a therapy practice. So I don't go insane. Uh, but in part so that when I'm reading scripture, I've reflected on the things that I'm already wrestling with. And I'm bringing those into the conversation with the text to see if the text has anything to say to them, or if the text is maybe illuminating a question that I haven't reflected on. Um, well, so questions are always kind of uh, an important way of engaging the text for me. Um, and engaging life generally, especially yeah. a life of faith. Yeah, so the second is that those questions oh, are, out, are those questions are like uh, questions that you come up with on your own outside of reading scripture, right? Before you get well, yeah, or 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 questions or that I've gotten from reading scripture, yeah. or in conversation with others, or you know, all yeah. sorts of places. Um, they're the ones that kind of like sting and live with you for a minute, you know. Sure. Um, and then the other thing that's been really helpful that I was taught that's been helpful to remember is is that. Um, when we read scripture, we never read it alone. Meaning yeah. that like the act of reading scripture is always a community activity. 
So not just in you and I having a conversation or the church reading a text, but even when we imagine ourselves to be reading it alone, we have a whole host of voices and histories in our brains that are telling us what certain things mean, how we should read certain passages and how we shouldn't read certain passages. Mm. Um, and it's helpful to just be cognizant of that, to remember that that's a process that's happening, that you're not having a direct engagement with the text. Even if you've never read it before, you've been introduced to the idea of Christian scripture through popular culture or all sorts of things. Yeah. And that's informing the way you're engaging it. So you can maybe ask questions about what some of that is, but also just um, be cognizant of who you're in conversation with in your own brain, in the books you're reading, and in your kind of community that you talk about scripture with. Yeah. That's interesting. The, the, I mean, being mindful of like our stories and the stories that we bring into scripture is really important to understand. And I mean, just an example of that, if you're, if you're kind of wrestling with what does that mean or what does that look like? Um, I just read a book recently that was by a North Carolina author. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever read books where like, you know, the place that they're talking about. It's a, it's a, it's a fictional story. I mean, it's a book called a land more, um, a land more kind than home. I can't remember. Uh, but it's, but it mentions like Mars Hill and Asheville and like Hendersonville and like all these places. And having been there, there's a little bit of an identity where I can relate to that experience perhaps more so than someone from Seattle could, you know? And I think that's true of scripture too. There are some, perhaps some things that are, that we identify with a little bit more so, um, um, than, than other parts. So it's important to recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I never want people to be too precious or afraid of mm -hmm. like the text or how they're reading it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I want it to be acknowledged that it's a conversation, so yeah. Yeah. So what about you? What are your My tips? Rule? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're not rules, but like the ways that I read. I mean, I, you know, there are different types of as someone who preaches, there's like different ways in which I have to read, right? So there's, there's re reading from, from an academic perspective. Um, and then there, and there's re reading from like a, a perspective of preparing a sermon, which is kind of the academic piece, um, a touch, a splash of the academic piece, maybe one part academic piece, one part practical piece. And then there's some just from my own devotional, uh, like practices. Um, but I think when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm trying to like engage a text deeply and I'm trying to like dive into it to better understand it, to wrestle with it to kind of, in, in the way that I hope that we're going to do with Acts, there was a professor of mine at Candler who had these like 14 rules for, for reading scripture. And I don't remember, uh, I remember rule one. R rule one was like read slowly. Um, and it was like yeah. spending time with the text. That kind of meant, and he kind of talked about like the setting, like setting up a space where you're not, uh, picking up and putting it down. So don't be reading it like while you're watching, um, you know, whatever it is you're watching the TV, but give, give it time and energy. And then rules two through like 13, they were all of the things that you and I have probably heard before, but that maybe you're new to folks. Like think about your story and how it engages the text. Think about like the audience, the original audience, like who was this yeah. the book of Acts written for? Um, think about the world in which it was written. Think about, um, a lot of those things, I mean, like read it in conversation with Old Testament, New Testament, you know, yeah. I, I don't remember all of them, but, but I do remember that rule 14 was read it again. Um, and it was just the idea that you, you, we never stop reading. So 
I remember in confirmation, there was this kid who was bragging. He was from a different church. We went to a confirmation retreat together. And he was like, I've read scripture. I've read the Bible all the way through, cover to cover, twice. Um, and we were like, well, that's awesome. But th there's a sense in which that's great for some, for some things. But if you read scripture just to say you've done it, or just to like, get through it in the way that sometimes I read novels, just once I'm in one, I just kind of have to finish it. Um, this is a different conversation. This is the type of thing where you keep reading it um, and you keep right. reading because we're not, we're not the only actors at work, right? In reading scripture. Yeah. Um, we're kind of vessels for a, a larger actor. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Adam, uh, kind of talking about your stories just a second ago and things, is there anything like in particular that you bring to scripture when you read? Like, are there any important things that listeners or that I should know about kind of conversation? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I grew up in the church um, in very particular kind of like large evangelical megachurch settings Yeah. in Texas. Um, and then traveled through like Anabaptist, you know, uh, Mennonite and Quaker communities and all sorts of all sorts of different kinds of expressions of the Christian faith. Yeah. Um, so that's informed a lot of how I read scripture is being exposed to a lot of the ways that these texts are handled in different communities of faith. Um, and then I studied philosophy and English as an undergraduate. So I'm asking, those are the kinds of questions I'm drawn to about words and language and structures of thought and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then some people may not know, I, I have a, a master's of divinity degree from Duke Divinity School. So I was trained in a particular way of engaging the text through that school. Um, uh, and, and a lot of that was helping me unpack what kinds of assumptions I was bringing to the text, um, right, to scripture. Yeah. But it also really helped me in my next phase of working in the nonprofit world and working with young people in Durham um, to help bring the questions that I was having about their lives and the questions that they were having about their lives back to the text for my own devotional time. So I'm, I'm often asking questions about how has this text been used uh, to enrich people's lives, especially vulnerable people, people in precarious situations, or how has it been used to harm people that I care about? Um, so I'm, I'm always kind of curious about how does this, if I was going to preach this or teach about it, how would it hit the ground for people, right? Yeah. Um, so those are, yeah. I think that those are probably the most important things for me. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's hard, it's, it's kind of hard to put your finger on, you know? Right, and, and I think that you know, when we talk about this, and perhaps there's moments where we have to like recognize in our conversation, like and just say, "Hey, this is coming from a perspective of someone who worked in the nonprofit world for kids." When I like when I read mm -hmm. about them sharing all things together, this this looks very different in the um, like East Durham community than it necessarily yeah. does in you know fill in the blank. Um, so we'll we'll identify those I think as we go along. Yeah, yeah. Important to recognize. Um, for me, it's a, it's not not the same. Um, uh, so, so actually, some parallels. We actually have a pretty decent amount um, in common. Uh, yeah, I grew up in the church. I just stayed in the Methodist church. I was kind of a cradle Methodist all the way through um, in a church uh, just down the street in Smithfield. A lot of people know that. Uh, and um, and then I had a couple of years where I left the church completely, just kind of tired of the the politics of it and kind of the bureaucracy and the red tape and the way kind of the sausage is made. And I got a chance to see that and it turned me off. And I kind of thought, um, 
you know, ministry, redefine what ministry looked like. And I realized that ministry didn't have to be a, uh, a person in a, a road preaching on Sundays. Um, yeah. And I thought that actually the more effective ministry is people who don't do that. Um, yeah. And there was years when I believe that, and I still believe that now, um, to be very frank, but uh, <laughs> I'm being honest. Um, but I do think, uh, I thought at one point that my gifts and graces were better aligned to a lay person that's just actively engaged in the church because we need strong sure. people constantly. Um, and I just thought that that was a little bit more my reality. Uh, so as someone who raised in the Methodist church, I mean, you know, did the whole, did Bible studies and stuff, but didn't, wasn't like a, I was not a person who, um, like read scripture cover to cover. I was not that kid from confirmation who did that. Yeah. I read, I read the gospels. I read some of the select old Testament passages, but there's a uh, old, old Testament books, but there are plenty of books in the old Testament that were, um, almost foreign. I would say, uh, by the time I got to divinity school, um, I just, I knew of them cause we hit them in the, in the lectionary, but I didn't know them deeply cause they were overlooked other than the lectionary. And actually acts is one of those books. Interestingly. I mean, I think the acts for me is, um, is something that I've known for years. I mean, because of divinity school, but acts and the lectionary is overlooked pretty significantly. It's brought yeah. up a few times, uh, yeah. but it's a pretty critical book. Um, I think kind of within the canon of, of scripture as a whole. Um, yeah. I was telling you this earlier. I think acts is probably my favorite book. Which is awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. It's great to get to unpack it a little bit. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways in which this, I mean, that's going to lead to this, this conversation as we keep going, but I'm going to be learning a lot from your perspective of, and perhaps illuminating some of the ways in which you might've read it once the first time you read it. Uh, oh, sure. As like little baby Adam. And then, you know, kind of still little, but uh, adolescent Adam, uh, <laughs> and then like little adult Adam. Uh, so, um, yeah. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about, we're going to turn to, I, I do want to pause there though, actually, and just see if there's, um, actually, no, let's, let's keep, is there any questions right now? I don't see any. I don't see any. Okay. Let's keep, let's keep going full steam ahead. Um, so a little bit of an introduction to Acts uh, for folks who are, again, who are relatively new to Acts, like I was um, a little bit of context for you um, with this book. Um, so Acts, in the canon of scripture, Acts is the, is the story after. It's like the Gospels, boom, 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 boom. And then chronologically, it seems to be the bridge between uh, the Gospels and like the epistles, which are Paul's letters to the churches and stuff. Acts gives you a lot of context about like kind of where, like how Paul got to those churches that he established. Uh, we'll get to that in the latter half of Acts. Um, but Acts at the beginning is really this story of like, um, what next? I mean, like that's the, that's the title of this whole series. Uh, but it's really the story of like, so Jesus died, Jesus rose, you know, was rose from the, risen from the dead. Um, he ascended into heaven. And so how, like, so then what happened? Like, and that's kind of, that's kind of where we end sometimes. Um, the, the creed kind of, uh, then kind of talks a little bit about the church. Right. And then it kind of goes into that. And, 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 but for us, it's the story after. It's like the continuation. There's a little bit of background that you should know about it, um, context and kind of authorship. And uh, and this is always important to look at in a book of scripture. Sometimes it's relevant, like sometimes it's not. Um, but if you're going to do a deep dive into a book, you might, might as well know 
a little bit about it. And I think actually the first passage, uh, Acts 1.1, raises a pretty interesting question. It starts with, in the first book, uh, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning, which makes you question, ask a lot of questions, which is like first is like the first book, what are you talking about? Uh, right. And who the heck is Theophilus and who is right. uh So a couple of interesting questions to ask that you might wonder when you're reading this. And I want to start with this, um, this Theophilus. So Theophilus, we're not really sure who this guy is. Uh, Some people speculate that it's a financier that kind of financed Luke to, to write this, um, to write this book, uh, which I'll go back to Luke writing it. Um, Finances Luke to write this book uh, and to give the account of, uh, the early church and also to give the account of like what happened to these guys, these 12 guys who had been following Jesus around clearly their story doesn't end their story continues. And then what is this new Holy spirit thing all about? So some people say it's actually a person. Other people actually speculate that it's the, the translation actually means dear to God. It's a Greek, like the Greek name means dear to God. And so some people think that this is a pseudonym just for all first early converts of Christianity. Like, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, after Jesus is rose from the dead, your question is like, well, go on, you know, tell me more. And so this is the story for them. So we're not really sure who it, um, who Theophilus is. Can't really pin him down. But one people, one thing that a lot of people agree on is that this is probably written by Luke. Um, it's not for certain. Like we have to kind of go with a grain of salt that everything, we're not positive. It could have written, been written by a compilation of people but the same person that wrote the Gospel of Luke uh, likely wrote this as well. And there's some um, literary uh, cues, kind of how it's written. Uh, the, they're both addressed to Theophilus. Like the first book, the book of Luke starts with Theophilus. The book of Acts starts with Theophilus. Um, this audience, this anonymous audience person. Um, but the more important thing is that it's written to someone. It's, it's, it's clearly written for this story to be heard and to be told and to be received um, and to be digested and marinated and kind of thrown around in conversation, um, which is exactly what we're, what we're doing here. Um, it's, a, it's a text of persuasion. I mean, if you read it, it's not just an account, I don't think. It's not just like a, uh, a written history of like what happened next, you know, step one, step two, step three. On day right. seven, they did this. On day 35, they did this. Um, it's, it's a text of persuasion. It's clearly trying to, um, to shape things, shape people, yeah. shape individuals, shape communities, um, shape structures and systems. Yeah. Um, it's not just like you would read a history book. Um, right. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. So that's a little bit of the background of like, like kind of the, the writing for it, but it raises just this interesting question of genre. And Adam, you and I had a conversation about genre. And I'm just wondering um, perhaps what you think acts is. So you know more about it than I do. So what do you think acts is in terms of like the genre? Why is genre important in the first place? Maybe? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, I think, I think it would be in scripture, sometimes it can be helpful to break things into different genres. Obviously it's not the same kind of a book as like, um, Proverbs or Psalms. Right. Right. Um, but so it would typically be called a, a, like a history or historical text within scripture. But when we're engaging with historical texts in scripture, um, 
we have very particular views of what history texts mean, right? Like what a historian does. Yeah. Um, and like you just said, this isn't doing like what a civil war history might do. That's just a recounting of events. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's a, if it's a, if we're going to call it a history in a holy text in scripture, then it's a kind of history that we're invited to participate in. Right. So it's a story that's unfolding on the page, but also in our lives mm. still. So, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of the important thing for me. Yeah. It's interesting to think about history. I, you know, I, like, I, I taught U.S. history for a couple of years. And one of the big things that we brought in whenever we talked about history, like, which was every day, because I was But one of the things that we talked about is like the, the, the danger of a single narrative mm-hmm. um, in all histories, right, period. Um, and just the idea that can you ever get a specific um, can you ever get a specific history? Can you ever like pin down yeah. history? And there's, you can't like in a way, like right. if, you know, if, if God forbid, if there were a car wreck that happened right here at the intersection in front of my house, there would probably be three different tellings of how that happened and who gets to tell the story is, right. um, is influenced by other things. Right. And not all stories are going to be remembered in a certain way. So when we read acts, it's kind of like that too, where it's like clearly, um, it's clearly a recounting of events. Like there's no doubt that right. like, these events happen. And as people of faith, we trust that these events do happen and we read them and yeah, they happen. But, but we recognize that like in them, there's a richer, there's a rich meaning to it. It's not just like reading a history book where you're just trying yeah. to learn fact. You're trying to kind of dig deeper for truths and for realities. And I think the author knew that and was inviting people into it. And is, is very clearly inviting all listeners and all readers into this story to say, hey, this isn't the story of just these 12, the acts of the apostles. This isn't just about the apostles. In fact, the main actor aren't even the apostles. It's the spirit, right? Right. But it's an invitation for you to live in that. It's your story. Theophilus, dear one of God, you, this is written to you too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I vibe with all of that. You're good with it. (laughs) Good. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad we haven't had conflict yet. I'm sure it will. Um, <laughs> we're we're ramping up to it, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's gonna be great. I'm just joking. I'm realizing that people people may not realize that we're like friends. That you yes. and I like like each other, and we're friends, and we yeah. talk often. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's a combative thing, just because you uh, you know make fun of me and that type of thing, and I make fun of you. But it's all in love. It's all in love. Um. So why Acts? Like, why are we reading Acts and why right now? What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I want to credit you with the idea. You were the one who was like, hey, I think we should read Acts. I thought it was a great idea. One of the reasons I thought it was a great idea was um, I think Acts is like a, a book about, um, like you said, like, like, what do we do next? The church is caught in this position. It's not even technically the church yet. It's a budding church. And they're trying to talk to each other, discern in the spirit and pray about like what in the world happens next. And their world is like crumbling around them, you know, as the story is unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about the kind of like world crumbling around them and world upside down thing. Um, but 
yeah, I think that it can be instructive for the church in all times, but particularly right now, mm-hmm. to read a book about, you know, to read scripture about disciples in a similar situation yeah. or apostles in a similar situation, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a, cri- there's a crisis then, there's a crisis now. It's a new reality then. It, whether we like it or not, we're about to live into a new reality. We are in a new reality, right. but we're even more so probably when we get back, right? It's not like we're going to yeah. go back to normal. Um, you know, it's just it's something that we have to face. And so also kind of being in this state of, of a loss necessarily, of like there's, there's, a, there's a strong sense, I feel like, of loss at the beginning of Acts. I don't know if... Oh, if, sure, sure. I mean, like yeah. these 12 guys who have been looking to, or there's 11 at this point, right? Like immediately after, but are looking yeah. to... Um, to this guy who's been their teacher and their leader. And there's been this yo-yoing effect. Like he was, he was here and then he was crucified and then he was put in a tomb and then he rose from the dead and then he showed up and are like among us. And then he hung around for 40 days and now he's ascending into heaven. And there's a sense of just like uh, the sense of um, Jesus. We love you, man. We just need you to pick one. Like, you right. Know, um, and so there's, but, there, but, but Jesus ascends and we'll talk about the ascension perhaps in a little bit, this is Ascension Week, actually, in the life of the church. We celebrate Ascension Day on Thursday and Ascension Sunday on Sunday. Um, but it's interesting just to think about that. And I think that we're in a little bit of a yo-yoing effect, an emotional roller coaster of, like, certainty, sure. uncertainty, certainty, uncertainty. Uh, what do I do next? And so you can kind of identify a little bit with the emotional heftiness, maybe not to the um, to the to the cosmic and eschatological scale that the disciples sure. are living in. Sure. But but there is something about that. And I think it's also the text of Easter. Like this is the this is the story right. you always tell in the in the lectionary of like after Easter, what do you preach on the next week? Or what does the associate pastor always get to preach on the next week? Because it's never it's, you know, it's about <laughs> Timothy. Senior pastor, they take it off. Um, <laughs> it's it's the uh, it's it's the Timothy piece and then it's the Acts. And, and then right. it goes right into to the Acts of the Apostles, right? And the story of yeah. so now what do we do? So Yeah. Also, I think just generally, even before COVID, the church, I think if we're honest, was in a, is in a state of transition, not FUMC carry, but the church with a capital C, right? Hmm. And just any time that like, any time that it feels like there's a major shift in something happening with, with the church, I think Acts is a good book to spend some time in. Yeah. So. Here's the thing. I mean, too- the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, here's the thing, too, is, is Acts is something that in those moments, the, the temptation is to go and say, Acts, please give me, um, please give me the answer, right? I have this, yeah. like, the way that you're at, uh, writing questions down, something tells me that you don't go, you don't have this question and then go searching through scripture looking for it. You kind of have to, you, right. you, you look for it, but then you like search, you're like kind of researching it and looking for it as well. It's not like you're just looking for one line to justify it. And that's true too, where this question of what next, I'm not sure if anyone is going to walk out of here getting an action plan um, or getting, a, <laughs> you know, or getting a, a guide to pandemic survival. And, um, and I would be really troubled if that was the result of this. It's not our goal, right? It's not our goal. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's kind of that idea of sometimes people look at scripture like a little fortune cookie. It's kind of like the fortune cookie genre, which is the idea of, it's going to tell me exactly what I need to do. I'm going to get this one little line. 
And I'm not saying that lines, like passages of scripture don't become like embedded in our minds and our hearts and sit with us and like rest with us for a long time and like kind of illuminate and rich our life and deepen our faith. But, um, but if we just kind of go hunting for it, hunting and pecking for an answer that we're looking for, that's the danger of scripture too, in a lot of ways is we can, we can come in with an answer looking for coming with a question, looking for any answer we can possibly grab, grab one line of scripture um, and it's like an old professor of mine used to say, the Bible is like the New York Public Library. Um, it says a lot of things. Like, and you can <laughs> yeah. sort of defend your argument with a wide range of things. But it's what we're doing now, the kind of the conversation with Scripture, the studying of Scripture, that's going to be pretty, pretty important going forward. So, Yeah. Cool. So we got a question. Uh, let me pull it up. The question, um, yeah. So this is great. Uh, so the question is, uh, why is this book uh, just not included in the book of Luke? What, uh, was it written at a later point in time? So that's a great question. Um, uh, so I think while they are, this is just my, my thinking on this, and Adam, you might add some more to it. Um, my initial thinking on this is that while Luke and Acts are parallels in the sense of just they, they have similar writing styles and they still still have... Um, um, perhaps a similar audience, there are still pretty distinct, um, almost like, I don't want to say like motives for writing them, but there's like the, the scripture, I mean, the gospel is the story of Jesus. It's the, it's the account of Jesus from Luke's perspective. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in there. There's a lot of great, great, rich kind of threads that weave themselves through Luke. Um, that don't continue into Acts. Uh, some do, but don't continue into Acts. And I think the Acts kind of has a different point, which uh, which might go to shaping people. Um, that might be one example. Like Luke is about understanding who Jesus is, us being understanding of Jesus, us kind of living into these teachings of Jesus and seeing Jesus and recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. And then Acts kind of turns into this. Now, how are you going to do with that? Like God is not super present in Acts, like just strictly, you know, as a character, but God is obviously the actor behind all that they're doing through the work of the spirit. So a couple of intentions. Also, there, there is, there are people who speculate that that might be the question. The second question was, was it written at a second, was Luke and Acts, were they written at different times? And is that why they might be, um, not the same book? And there are some people who speculate that they, they were written possibly at different times. Um, a lot of people agree that Acts is probably written around the 80s of like that first century. So Jesus dies in like the early 30s. Um, and then 80s is around the time that Acts is written. Um, and perhaps, again, it goes back to that question of persuading a particular audience and persuading a people and really stepping away from the Jesus, I don't want to say event in a negative or derogatory sense, but like the Jesus's life and reality, um, taking time to reflect on that and being able to craft this narrative of, of this story. So, yeah. And just real quickly, there's a lot of evidence to suggest before people may not know the history of how the new Testament came to be in the new yeah. Testament and right. considered scripture, but, um, we can talk about that at another time, but there's, there's some good evidence that Luke and Acts were actually kind of bound together and circulated together among mm-hmm. early churches um, so that they kind of came as a pair. But the, yeah, like Ben was saying, there's, the arc of the stories are a bit different. Uh, yeah. 
So, yeah, cool. So that's good. That's a great question. Awesome. So let's keep, we got about 15 minutes. Uh, again, I want to be mindful of people's, um, yeah, people's time. So let's dive in. Let's dive in. Acts one. So the way we would kind of wanted to do this, um, just to give you the, to give everyone kind of the style for this, Adam and I both read Acts independently. We didn't really, we didn't read it together. We didn't like sit around and read it, um, out loud to one another. Um, we could, but we're not going to. But we read it independently, and we kind of came up with the things that stood out to us most. And we want to take a little bit of time reflecting on both of those those things. Um, so there wasn't a ton of reading this week. Um, there was uh, just chapter one, but chapter one's a pretty pivotal chapter because it is, um, I mean, it's kind of like the first five minutes of any sequel where you're just like, I need to know um, sure. what, the next, what the next scene is. So... For me, um, yeah, so for me, the, the, the passages of like the, like the chunk that stood out the most to me was really this uh, chapter one, verses six uh, through eight. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the beginning, it's, it's, the, it's the conversations, the back and forth between the disciples um, and, and Jesus like right before the ascension. So this is actually the, probably the first scene. If you look at like the first five or six passages, it kind of, that's like a, a summarizing of like all that's happened. It's kind of like, you know, you see the introductory credits or whatever, and you see kind of time has passed a little bit. And now here's this first scene where they're talking to one another. Um, and the disciples, the first thing that the disciples ask, or the first thing the disciples do is ask a question. Yeah. And I think just in our context right now, um, the fact that's the first thing that the disciples do says a lot. Um, yeah. Perhaps says a lot about us. It says a lot about them. Um, you know, these the the disciples all through all through all of the gospels really are are kind of these question askers um, in a lot of ways. I mean, in, in some of the gospels, bends on them. They're kind of they're kind of this like the stubborn people who. Uh, yeah who who kind of look like the foil i guess in the story um and for others they're they're intended to ask questions perhaps that we might be asking of jesus but in this particular case um to me it just seems a little bit more like that's their natural state and that perhaps me was or just a reflection on us being in a natural state of like qu being questioning people people who like want answers people who yeah if the first if the first time that we talk to jesus uh, you know, uh, we probably, we might be like the disciples and ask a question first, right? Like I mean, for a lot of us, that might be sure. the first thing we would do, right? Is, is like ask questions in prayer. A lot of times prayer is there are questions embedded. And so the disciples, I think, wanted to know as created beings, like, uh, they, they wanted a sense of certainty. They wanted to wrap their heads around the whole situation. Sure. Like, what should we be doing? Like, what next? Like, what is the, what is the thing that you're asking us to do? And I, I think there's some pros to that, but I think there's some cons to it too. Yeah. I wanted to hear what you made of, of Jesus's response there. Cause I yeah. read that as like kind of a, yeah, he shuts him down. Like it, yeah. he shuts him down because he says, um, so they ask this question. It's an interesting question. We, we can talk about the question itself, but I, you yeah. know, if we need to go down that road, we have time for it. But, um, the question is, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Like 
the question is kind of like, what's going on here? Like, can you give us a little bit of clarity of the situation? And Jesus shuts it down and says, answers it in kind of three parts to me. I kind of read that passage, um, passage seven, uh, verse seven and eight in three parts. There's the first part that's like, it is not for you to know the times, the periods that the father has set by his own authority, which is like shutting them down. It's saying there are limits. There will always be limits to you as, as followers of Jesus, but also as just people, as created beings, you have limitations to your capacity and the human condition, like the state in which you live as just created beings. Sure. Patience, right. Um, and then he continues and he says, but um, to kind of set aside for your limitations, to make up for your limitations, but you know, we're going we're gonna to reverse this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, um, which is an interesting thing too, to think about the, the command of Jesus there. It's, it's you will receive like in the state of questioning, as much as your desire is to like wrap your head around it, as much as your desire is to answer the question, to like create a to-do list, to create a preparedness list, to like get out there and start, you know, saving people and everything. Like your first thing, the posture you should always be in one is one that is ready to receive, um, which speaks to where I think a little bit of where we are now, like the idea sure. of like, our desire to go out and answer the question, but instead we should be in a position of, receiving the spirit. Um, but it also just shows you, to me, it sets up this whole story, like who's going to be the primary actor in this? Like, right. like we are the, um, um, the recipients of God's grace and of God's power in the Holy spirit. And it's the Holy spirit doing the work, um, among the disciples and among the, or the disciples turned apostles. We can answer that question in a second too. Um, you know, and that's the, that's what I think of it as. And then it ends with, he can kind of conclu- concludes this three part answer with, it's not for you to decide you're going to receive the Holy spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I think that that shows that like, though the capacity that you have as individuals is limited, the Holy Spirit's going to do this work among you. You are vessels for a much larger work. And it's not about you are going to go out and do witnessing. You're going out to be witnesses, I think, which again shows this part understanding of witness as being both someone who preaches, but also someone who is almost a blank canvas upon which God can write God's story for the Western Mm -hmm. world to see. Yeah. Um, No, like a stage for God's performance. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So that's one of the, that's to me, this was like the text this is normally not the text. I mean, I've read Acts, despite the fact that I'm new to reading Acts cover to cover, I've read Acts 1 and 2, uh, probably up through 9, 20 times or so, because they've got pretty critical parts. But like, normally I don't pay attention to that conversation. I pay attention to the ascension. But just yeah. in light of everything that's going on, that's the passage to me that just, um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That totally makes sense. Um, yeah. It, it, for the sake of time, I yeah, just I want to put a yours. few things on the table. Yeah, I want to hear yours. Yep. Okay. You're thinking. I'm ju- I just want to put them on the table. I may not unpack them all the way. Yeah. But one thing is, yeah, I'm curious about that question that they ask. I read that question in the disciples as kind of a residue of their old imagination of the work of Jesus to come in as a conquering king. And mm-hmm. like, now that you've beaten death, are you kind of the invincible action figure Messiah that we've been waiting for? Are you going to do that work? You know, mm-hmm. 
Um, so even after the death and resurrection, um, yeah, I'm curious. I'm, I'm not, I'm not yeah. suggesting that that's the way we need to read it, but I'm curious about it. Well, which then begs the question of how they, how they view themselves. Right. Are we the inheritors of this kingdom? Like, are we right. now the, um, the, like the, the next in line? Are we the, <laughs> you know, the destined the, to rule? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always, and I'm always curious about that, like the function of power and these questions and what the disciples imagine power to be and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing that I just wanted to point out, and you and I had joked about it a little bit, was um, this moment where the men in two white, the two men in white robes show up. Um, and like, we talked about how terrifying that would be just to look yeah. over and see. Um, but in my reflection of it, actually, I realized uh, the exact same thing happens in Luke in chapter 24 when the women come to the tomb. Yeah. Right. The, um, and and these men, these two men in white robes say a similar thing. Like, why are you looking for Jesus where you shouldn't be, you know? Mm. Um, so I'm, I, yeah, for me kind of like personally and devotionally I, that is the thing I think that stuck with me the most was this, notion of looking for Jesus where we expect or where Jesus has been instead of going to where Jesus has called us to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Or looking to where Jesus is moving. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then, but the mo the thing that I'm like questioning the most, the thing that's causing the most questions for me is this speech from Peter where they choose Matthias to replace Judas. Um, and I think it's because the question I've been asking most is like, what is the church supposed to do? Um, okay. And I've been asking that for years now. What is the church supposed to do about this situation? Um, and now I'm asking it with a different kind of urgency. But the things I'm curious about are um, when we read a speech like this, are we supposed to understand Peter to be reciting the words of God or are they the words of Peter? Mm. Right. Yeah. I think we can often get in the habit of reading some of these monologues, some monologues in scripture as like, um, they should all be celebrated and all treated with the same level of devotion or something. And, and I'm, the thing that makes me curious about it is Peter really positions Judas as this kind of soul betrayer when Peter also betrayed and abandoned Jesus and nearly every disciple abandoned and betrayed Jesus. So this kind of scapegoating of Judas is an interesting thing. Yeah, he puts right? all the weight. He puts all the blame on Judas. Yeah, of his own of his own betrayal or denial, right? Um, right, right. But even beyond that, I think one of the things that's interesting about what he's doing that is important to pay attention to is that he's he's taking the story of God with the people um, through David and Saul in the Psalms and bringing it into the life of god and the people in the present yeah and this kind of move i think we'll see a few times happen in acts yeah they bring in a um, lot of old testament in this time yeah so i'm always as somebody who's curious about how we engage with scripture in our day-to-day -day life i'm always curious about how scripture engages scripture right, right? how they um, engage scripture right? i mean like this yeah. is how their script you have to remember like they, like for a lot of folks um Luke and like the the gospels have probably not been written yet, right? I mean, like the this first generation wave of people is their scriptures are probably still Old Testament entirely. Like there's no oh, yeah. like the New Testament. So this group of people 
has all old, like the old, like, um, I mean, the story of Moses, right? And they've got all the prophets and they've got some of the, maybe some of the wisdoms pieces, but it hasn't been compiled into a nice, like leather bound book. Um, yeah, that's right. The bottom of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's storytelling and it's yeah. Peter reciting this back and kind of spiraling in this prophecy and interpreting it in, in one way, which you raise an issue yeah. is like a, a way that kind of dismisses Judas. Um, yeah. But, well, I mean, not only that, but he's spinning this text that like, when you go back and read that text in context, it's not prophecy, right? right. It's written for this other, um, but he's, he's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, unfolding the story of God in the present in an, in an interesting way. Yeah. I think that we should just be, could be instructive mm-hmm. whether or not, you know, like he is unduly placing all of this kind of weight on Judas or not. Yeah. Which I'm not prepared to answer one way or another. Which, I, But I think, you know, I think it's, the, it's our tendency and this kind of reflects, I think the tendency that we have too is to try to, make it all make sense in the moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's what we all try to do. And I think that there is perhaps the corrective coming at some point in Acts, uh, at some point among all of us, where we try to take the passive scriptures that we know and fit them into the narrative that we're trying to tell. Um, and you see that, and it's it's interesting to think about. That's a, that's a fascinating question about, are these the words of God? Or is this like Peter just trying to to make it fit a little bit in that moment? Um, and trying to shape this story, not shape the story, but like, but seeing the fulfillment of God's prophecy in one way where others might see it not necessarily in that way, right? Yeah, right. I mean, I think this is Peter doing what Peter thinks he's supposed to do, mm. right? Um, which is not a bad move, right? But I do, I think there was like choosing Matthias in this way, yeah. I think, is the next best step that they can make, but they have no clue what's coming. Right. You know, so. Yeah. And I kind of like it when the disciples or apostles are in a position where they have no clue what's going on. Yeah. I do think the, 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 the important thing too, though, is like, is what Peter does model, I think that can be helpful, is this trying to, is the spiraling back, the spiraling back and bringing yeah. it back in, in, in the story of the people. And, and that's actually a really important point too, is that it's not as if Peter and everyone drops the Jewish tradition, right? Right. Uh, it, like, you know, which is a dangerous thing for a lot of people uh, thinking, you know, we only need, um, give me the gospels and throw away everything else. And this is like, no, this is a long, this is a continuous story. The God of Israel is the God of Jesus. Um, you know, it's right. Uh, the question of who is God. I heard this on this, this morning, this lecture with Stanley Harawas and uh, we were talking about Willimon and the famous quote, and Harawas thinks it's the best line ever in theology, which is like, whoever God is, is the God who, um, uh, who saved Israel and raised Jesus from the dead. And it's, and it's the same God. And you have to know, you have to experience both of those in a way um, that allows you to understand who God is. And it's a similar thing though, but, but Peter's bringing in this story and they're, they're among one another, which is important too. Right. I think they're not, they're not on their own with this. Um, yeah. So those are all fascinating things. I mean, the Ascension that we didn't even talk about the Ascension. Uh, I know, which is fascinating. That's one of the biggest parts and a very complex books are written on the Ascension. Um, 
you know, to think about what that means, but um, we'll have to save that for another, another study. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll touch on it. I think the Ascension is a good precursor to the Pentecost. Yeah, totally. Cool. So there's a few questions on here. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So Cindy's point um, just a second ago of that um, Jesus sends them to the ends of the earth. I mean, like it kind of sends them out saying, you will be my witnesses, um, not just here, but you're, you know, we're going to talk about that. Actually, that's, I think the topic of session three or four is like, uh, put, who's this story for? I mean, who, who is the gospel? Who is the good news of Jesus for? in acts. Um, and we talk a little bit about that. So we'll, we'll continue to explain that. Yeah. I'm just kind of uh, yeah. Then the next one, what happens with, with Joseph or Barabbas? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the important things to, to know about this kind of selection that's happening here is that there are a large group of people who have been with Jesus for his whole ministry. Mm -hmm. And we think that, um, we can sometimes think that these 12, are the only people who kind of like watched the whole story unfold. One of the reasons Matthias and Barabbas were both, um, you know, even on the table is because they'd been around for the whole thing, right? Okay. Um, so Barabbas isn't cast out. Barabbas just isn't given this office, this particular kind of office of one of the 12 central apostles. Uh, there's, there's like a good, um, good reason to suspect that he was, he was, or Barsabbas. I've been saying Barabbas the whole time, Barsabbas. Um, I can't believe that. I feel so embarrassed. Um, so there's, there's good reason to believe that, yeah, he would still be involved in the life of the church. Yeah. Yeah, at this point, I mean, there's like, people speculate there's like 120, right? Like they're kind of in yeah. the core group and they're just trying to figure out who's the 12 that are, who's going to be the replacement. And honestly, it's a replacement to fulfill prophecy that there should be um, yeah. a 12th, right? Um, that there must be a 12th. And so in this idea of casting lots, you know, this idea of kind of um, casting lots is the interesting thing. It's kind of this, like, uh, I don't even know how you describe it, divination type of practice, I guess, of just kind of right. determining what God's will is. It's like a discernment process, but there's a little bit of reading into things there too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so question. There are so many specific facts in chapter one. Do you think this is one author, witness, or a compilation of many reports of what happened? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, I think I mean, I think that this is this is the this is the tension of the. I do think that there could easily be multiple authors. I mean, in, in a review process for this, you know, I'm not really sure that Luke is. I can't. It can't be definitive that there's one person writing this, um, but it's a compilation of stories. Again, it's storytellers too. So the way that Luke told the story, heard the story, recited the story to himself, Luke is going to later be a um, a kind of contemporary of um, of Paul more so, right? He's going to be a, a physician that kind of learns the story and witnesses to it and retells it later. Um, so how his story might have been shaped by others is also a possibility too, is the way it's exchanged over time. And so there's a lot of facts, but this is also the tension of what is the intent of the author. And I think that the author is um, whoever it might be or whoever they may be um, is really 
kind of ironing out some of the story of like what happens next and then kind of pushing into like deeper theological questions as the, as the story continues. Um, but that is a very interesting, it's a great question. Um, and it's one that we always have to keep it, think in mind um, about it. What bearing it has on the story, I don't know. Sometimes I think it influences the way the, the, the gospel, or the, not the gospel, but the book in the Bible is read. Sometimes it doesn't, but it's always important to think about. Cool. Awesome. Um, Matthias was chosen to be a witness to the resurrection and then become a disciple, right? Um, so Matthias is going to be, uh, the, the, the difference between a disciple and apostle, that might be a question to answer too. A lot of times we think that disciples, Luke uses that language, the apostles, to refer to um, the 12, specifically the 12. Um, so the question that was also earlier about what happened to uh, Joseph um, it could be a, a person beyond the 12, but is still a disciple, still a follower of Jesus, but isn't necessarily an apostle. The apostles are those who witnessed uh, the resurrection, are going to be witnesses to kind of the Jesus crucifixion, resurrection, like all the way through and be the firsthand accounts of it. So the reason why Matthias and Joseph were both a part of that is because they were considered to be kind of meet those qualifications, I think, to be witnesses to the resurrection at that point. Um, so that's a great question. I think that's all. That might be, oh, yeah. Cool. And we're bumping up against our time. Yeah, we're, we're kind of out of time. So you see Scott's comment there. So, yep. Great. Well, this has been good, man. This is a good start. So just a quick uh, recap. So for next week, we'd love for you to read chapter two um, and come back. If you need the guide, feel free to shoot me an uh, email. I can send that guide to you, resend it to you. And also feel free to invite um, your friends. You can share this link with folks. We got plenty of space in here, but, um, but this has been fun and we hope that it's been um, helpful for you. So Adam, do you want to close us in prayer real quick? Are we done? Sure. Awesome. Dear God, um, as we sit and wait and pray, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon. Later, brother. Peace, bud. Thanks for listening to the first installment of these conversations. We've got six more coming. Again, we'd love for you to join us. You can find us at Facebook or you can go to firstcarry.com to learn about our community. We hope to see you next week.